Hello, everyone, and welcome to this very special episode of In the Spotlight, Goodspeed Musicals podcast, where we deep dive into classic musicals one at a time. Or at least that's what we'd normally be doing, but we'll get to that in a second. First, my name is Michael Fling, an artistic associate here at Goodspeed, and I'm so pleased to be joined by the woman I would choose to walk across the country with, Annika Chapin, Goodspeed's other artistic associate and resident dramaturg. Hello, Annika. Hi, Michael. It's been a while. It's nice to be back. I was going to say, we're like back in the saddle. We had to get our like recording set up. You have moved since I've the moved. last time. So if it sounds different, that's why. Yes, I'm in a cavernously empty office that has nothing in it. So it's probably just an echo chamber. It's, it's like uh, we're back in the old days of recording the, the early episodes. But Annika, why don't you give us a little bit of an introduction into what this very special episode is going to be like? Well, normally, as you probably know, if you've listened to this podcast before, we take an older musical with a long story history and we talk about its history and where it lives in the culture and how it is as a show and all these different elements and different productions of it, et cetera, et cetera. But for this episode, we have something special that we're doing at Goodspeed, which is that we have started Goodspeed On Demand. And as part of that, we are streaming the video recording of our 2019 production of Passing Through by Brett Ryback and Eric Uyoa, a new musical that we premiered at our festival in 2018 um, and based on the memoir of Andrew Forstoffel. And so we thought, you know what, even though normally when we're talking about shows, we're talking about something that's very finished, quote unquote, as much as anything is ever finished. It's, it's been on Broadway, it's been out in the world, there's regional productions, you can listen to a cast album, et cetera, et cetera. Why don't we look at passing through both as a show and as an example of what it's like to make a new musical, what that process is, or at least what that was process was in 2019. Obviously theater is gonna be very different whenever it comes back, but um, we can just look at what it is to create a new musical and what that process is, what that journey is to use a term that also applies to the plot of the show. So here we are. And um, if you haven't watched Passing Through yet, highly recommend that you go and stream it for the low, low price of, I think, $25. It's available only through April 4th. So get on there, go look at it, watch it multiple times if you want to, or you can listen to us, listen to us talk about it and then go watch it dealer's choice, but do watch it because it is a gem and a joy. And especially in this time where we can't watch anything on stage for real and live in front of us, it's it's a reminder of what a special thing that is to sit in the audience of something new and special um, and enjoy it for the first time. So that's what we're doing. So we'll be do introducing a new segment or two, some features. And as we when we come back for season two, some of these things will probably remain with the show. But first, to give you a brief overview of Passing Through, Annika is going to be doing the speed test. Hudson's Floor X doesn't matter. 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 Where she gets 60 seconds to try to explain the plot of Passing Through. Um, and this segment is probably more important than it has been in previous iterations, so the pressure really is on miss chapin uh to see how how she does but i've got 60 seconds on the clock are you ready i'm ready days walking high walking craze walking go 
Okay, so Andrew has just graduated from college. He doesn't know what to do with himself. His friend is like, come to Europe with me. And then it's like, nobody walks across America. And he's like, I'm going to walk across America. His mom, not happy about it. Sets off, meets some sketchy people, meets some people who are like, no, 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 you're finding your soul. This is great. He's heartened, even though he's bad at it originally. He meets more people. Um, he eventually is going off. He's like struggling with some stuff within himself. He meets a girl named Carrie who is uh, leaving her life behind, leaving her son behind. Andrew freaks out, um, leaves her behind, meets Miss Emma, who's a 102 year old black woman who tells him a lot about history. Second act, he's keeping walking. He has to confront the fact that he and his father have a bad relationship and walk across the desert, which is very dangerous. He does this. He has this sort of emotional confrontation with his father, truly grows up, gets to the ocean. And then uh, the walk has all made everything better for him. And he's changed the lives of the people that he's met along the way. And America is great. And that's one minute. That was really, really solid. I left out a, a whole bunch, but... This is either, I will say, this is hard. This is going to be, I knew going into that, that was going to be either really easy for me or really hard for me because when you, when you are a dramaturg on a show, as I was actively on passing through, it's very difficult to get, like sometimes you're in the weeds and you're like, and then this scene happens and that's important for this reason. And then you know, so it's like, I cannot believe I didn't get completely stuck. No, it was a great, a great overview of, of the story. So that will bring us to Why God Why? Why God? Why today? Where we talk about the show's major theme. What's its governing purpose? Why are the authors telling this story? So with Passing Through, this may be a little uh, simplistic uh, because there, there are a lot of things and themes that the show is exploring. But I think central to all of them and really what does connect all of the characters is this idea of connection to other humans and and listening and walking to achieve that on a different level um there when you listen to andrew's story in particular when he speaks about it he has so many pearls of wisdom about what he learned on his journey and the importance of listening and the importance of walking and how and how those two are connected and how that opened up a lot opened him up to experiences that he never would have imagined. Um, but central to that, I mean, I think his journey is obviously a literal journey of walking and listening, but I think there's also a very important distinction to make between listening and hearing. And there are, there are kind of two different things, I think, within that, um, that I, I don't know that maybe this is the place to talk about that, but like how much, you know, when you listen, how much are you actually hearing? How much are you actually intaking? Um, and so listening being an, a very, very active form of listening that I, I think we tend to think of as a passive thing. But um, Annika, I know that's like kind of maybe a blatantly obvious thing that connects all of the characters because it is a show about connection. But what do you think is the show's governing idea? Well, certainly I think that, as you said, there's a lot and listening versus hearing is certainly one of them. Um, it's also very much a growing up story. Um, it's really the journey of a young man who has to, more than has to figure out who he is, he, he ultimately realizes he has to confront a part of himself that he wanted to keep buried. So that's, I think the, the the lesson that Andrew himself has to learn is that 
as much as he's going around and listening with a really open heart to all of these different people, he's closing his heart to something that is very personal to him, which is his father who has left him and his mother um, when he was a child. So, so it's really that story. It's, I think there's forgiveness and there's um, opening your heart and uh, just seeing people as people, not necessarily as what you'd like to frame them into um, by your own perspectives uh, for a lot of different ways. And, you know, I mean, and there's a lot more than that too. I mean, it's about America. It's about what this country is and and how this country is a, is a just true melting pot of all these different experiences, all these different cultures, um, all these different people. Um, so it's really a celebration of that as well. There's a lot going on, but yeah, I would say ultimately uh, you nailed it with the connection is kind of the governing theme. And in terms of Andrew's personal journey, I'd say it's, it's, about growing up and, and learning to forgive. And that will bring us to our brand new segment, Putting It Together. Bit by bit, putting it together. Piece by piece, only way to make a work of art. Where we're gonna talk about the creation process of the show. So because the show is homegrown at good speed, we have access to the incredibly talented writers of Passing Through. So I'm so thrilled to welcome to the podcast our first ever guests of the pod, writers Eric Uyoa and Brett Ryback. Hello, gentlemen. Oh, hello, hello. Hello. Um, so first off, tell us the general kind of, the general journey that Passing Through took from seed of idea to then workshop production in Chester, Connecticut. Eric, it starts with you. Yeah, okay, I'll, I'm, I'm gonna start it off now. When we meet Brett, I'm gonna hand it off to you. Uh, okay, uh, so uh, Passing Through started, uh, the very, very seed of the idea happened. Um, I was uh, driving back from Connecticut, actually. This, when, I, when I say that this show has been born, bred, watered, pruned, and, and blossomed in Connecticut, it could not be more true. Um, this, so I was driving back from, um, from Newtown, Connecticut to be specific, and I had just done my first week of uh, interviews for what ended up being my, my first play, 26 Pebbles. Um, and uh, to make a very long story short, after meeting with people from all over the community that had you know, been hearing their first-hand accounts of how this horrific event at Sandy Hook affected them or their family in some way, there was a lot of emotion, uh, you know, built up and, and my job on that, on that trip and was to be a, an ear and to listen and to document there, not to, not to allow them to unload and me to just kind of stay a, a rock for them. Um, so I'm driving back and, uh, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a, always a jam out in the car person. Well, listen, the rent soundtrack, is, the, the cast recording is always one that I will lose my voice to on a, on a road trip. Uh, but aside from that, like, I, I like, I like a good NPR. And so I popped on NPR and, uh, and on comes the program uh, right at the beginning. Uh, it was like Lessons of a Young Man. I forget the exact title, but it was about a young man walking across the country. I thought, well, that's fascinating, you know, and, and, and I remember the, the, you know, his very first words and you hear the crunching of the gravel and him talking about how beautiful this road he was on. And I was just so taken by this story and there hit a moment in the pod that I was on the Connecticut freeway and, and I, I joke, I'm not joking at all when I say that I had to pull off the freeway because I was so overcome with emotion because of the pod, 
of what I had just been through of everything and the idea of, of just this, you know, humanity sometimes and the beauty of it can be more overpowering than sadness. I think in many cases, I was so overwhelmed in humanity. I had to pull off the freeway for fear of crashing. I'm not even joking because I could not stop crying and my hands were shaking and I, it was just not conducive for, for uh, maintaining an automobile on the road. Um, pulled over, I just like unloaded. And in that moment, I just like, this is something that will stay with me. I will do something with this. I don't know what it is yet. But man, I think this is like, and then as I kept listening and finishing it out, I'm like, this is a musical. Like, this is a, an epic story about a, a young man walking across America to try to figure it out, to find connection among us. Um, cut to about a year later, uh, I want to say I had a, in fact, right after that was my very first time ever working at Goodspeed. And when I started to write 26 Pebbles, when I was by night, most happy fella by day, Pebbles writing. Um, and uh, soon after that, I, my uh, former agent reached out to me and said, uh, I have this guy I want you to meet. Uh, he's a composer lyricist, his name is Brett Ryback. And now I toss it off to you, Brett. Uh, right, so <clears throat> I had met this former agent of Eric's and he, I had said I was looking for uh, book writers to collaborate with. And so he put us in touch and we had a meeting uh, that went very well and uh, and it was right before the, the at the beginning of, a, of the summer. I was in New York at the time, but I was going back to LA. And we had agreed to just send some ideas back and forth about what we might collaborate on. And Eric sent me this podcast, and I listened to it. And um, and you know, I don't I don't really remember my first impression of it to be to be perfectly honest. But I do I do remember the thoughts that came to me were. Uh, were that this was a story about sort of a, like a, an entire life, like in in one thing. I felt like it had a sort of Hamlet-esque philosophy about like, what is a man and what is a human and what does it mean to be? And, and I thought that it had, uh, and I thought I'd never seen a journey like this portrayed on stage, that this kind of like walking, across the country on stage. And I thought, okay, these are all things that make it seem like a really interesting story to dive into. And um, we started talking about what, what, what would the story be? I had I kind of uh, demoed uh, an early song that's still uh, really mostly wholly in the piece um, as well as some other pieces of music that are no longer in the piece. And around that time, uh, Eric, because of his relationship with Goodspeed, um, I think you were, were you asked to submit something for the Johnny Mercer Writers Grove or? Yeah, it was, a, I, I got an email sent to me saying, cause uh, I imagine it was through Donna Lynn because mm -hmm. she knew me as a playwright. And I remember when Pebbles happened, she said, God, if I, I wish we produced plays here. If we did, this would be on the season. And she was always very uh, uh, supportive. And, and, and my very first reading ever was at Goodspeed for some of the donors of my play. And uh, so she knew that I did that, but I remember getting an email sent to me about the Johnny Mercer uh, Writers Grove and what that, uh, you know, and if I had interest in that, so yeah. Right, and so we uh, submitted, you know, at the time it was, we had the general outline, we had a few songs um, and they invited us to come and, and spend a couple weeks there over in the winter. And I remember also thinking at the time you know, we sort of knew in the back of our heads that we were eventually going to have to reach out to 
Andrew, the guy who actually did this thing and just deal with that aspect of it because something that uh, when you're adapting work and especially in this case where we're adapting somebody's life story, there's just a lot of like permissions that you have to get and go through but that's not always the first thing you're thinking of when you're when you're excited and inspired to write something. And uh, and especially when you're two independent artists, you know, like Eric and I, I mean, it's there's a reason that a lot of young writers write original work is because it's just cheaper. You know, it does, you, there's less hurdles that you have to jump over and, and hoops you have to jump through. So after that first that first winter at uh, uh, at Goodspeed, <clears throat> I think was really important for us um, cracking the much larger story of the show, which is this uh, examination of uh, inherent racism that has, you know, been a part of the founding of our country since, you know, when we pushed uh, the Native Americans off of their land, and um, and the and sort of the unraveling of that, and the sort of taking a look at that, and how that relates to the very personal story of this young man who's unraveling and taking a look at his own past trauma and having to face that in order to move forward. That discovery happened that first winter, and I think that for us and also for Donna Lynn was really interesting that that sort of was like, oh, there's something else here. Shortly thereafter, we, we did end up reaching out to Andrew. And um, at the time uh, he wrote back and said, you know, this is really interesting. I'm in the middle of writing a book uh, about this. So I can't really like, I think at the time he thought maybe we were asking for his help in writing this musical. So he was sort of like, I can't really involve myself with that. but very graciously said, go ahead, just, just do it. And then, and we'll talk. So with his, you know, his blessing, we continued to work on it. And I think it was then, I'm trying to remember the timeline that was 2015. Yeah. So I guess it was, so the second year, the 2016, we, uh, uh, we were asked to come back to continue working on it at good speed. And at that point we had uh, most of act one kind of drafted and we were starting to break into act two and we used that second uh, winter to uh, break into act two. And also we did a read through of, was it just act one, Eric? Do you remember? Yeah, yeah uh, but it, it was just act one then, but I want to hop in when you're talking about the about the two groves and this is just, just since we're on a pod about good speed and all as well, like a testament to the importance of these retreats and groves and everything like because I'll tell you very very the the heart of the show was found in the final day of the first of the very first uh or the final two days of the very first uh retreat because that's when Brett came out of his room and said I think I have a song for this character called keep on walking and Miss Emma had her song and in fact we had our presentation for the end of the retreat already and uh, Michael Bush, who then was the dramaturg of the Grove of the Time, insisted at the very end when everyone was done, you two need to play that song that you played for me today. And we played it. And like Brett said in that moment, I think that's when Donna Lynn, everyone went, oh, wait a minute. This is deeper than we think this, this may be going. You know, uh, and let, and let me, yeah, I actually want to, since you brought that up, I think it's also really important just to talk about like why these, these retreats and things matter and why they are so beneficial is that the really what challenged me, I think, to write that 
was being in the presence of these other writers. It was the first time that I had ever had the opportunity since college. I mean, I went to school for composition, so I was used to being around other composers and talking about music in that way, um, in, at least in, in school. But it, it, I had never really spent like this kind of concerted time with other musical theater creators and hearing their work and the discussion that happens during the, the, you know, the get togethers and then just outside of the actual work when you're just at somebody's house that night, you know, drinking bourbon and like discussing stuff. That was like crucial to just sort of being like, oh, wow, look at what that person's doing. Look at what that person's doing. I want to try to do that in my work. And, um, and I just think that like, that is an experience that is so unbelievably valuable and not really talked about a whole lot, you know, because it's such an isolated art form and writing just in general. And you don't realize like how much that bouncing off uh, actually informs work that you then see on the stage. And you walk in and you walk into these, I mean, we, our, our week, the first week was an embarrassment of riches. When I go back and think about it, <laughs> who was there? It was us, it was Stephen Aremus, Hunter Bell, um, Brett and I, Brett, I think when you and I, I don't know if both of us read, we read scenes for Michael R. Jackson of A Strange Loop five years before it premiered, I'm right, turn to Brett and I go, we'll never write anything this good, but I really want to write something close to it. <laughs> <laughs> because I was so blown away. We knew from him where he sang the memory song. And I was like, oh my God. And, and it was, and we were insisting that he played the role too. We kept telling him, you have to play this role. Um, and, but that week too, aside from like Brett said, the inspiration and bouncing ideas off of these people, these things happen. I, I have to give credit. I can't say scenically it's my idea. Marcy and Zena told me, take the mother song, wrap the scene in the song. It's a conversation. That's how it is in the show. That was something they suggested and we took it and kept playing with it, you know? And so the second year we, we got into act two um, and uh, that fall, we finally uh, met, sat down with Andrew and Andrew had finished his book at the time and we swapped and he gave us a galley copy of his book and um, we gave him this, this first draft of, of our script. And I was working in, um, at Bucks County at the time. So I went to Philadelphia and we met in Philadelphia and, and we talked about what uh, he responded to and what he didn't respond to. And um, Actually, I think at that point I hadn't gotten, we, he hadn't given us the book. So he said, I'm going to give you this book. I want you to read it and, and, and we'll talk from there. But again, he sort of said, but we can continue to move forward and I will give you permission to move forward. So he was always very sort of open to the project, um, you know, to his great, great, great credit and trust. And then, so now we had a little bit more to dive into and um, in moving forward with the script, we had some more uh, specific details that we didn't have just based on the podcast. And we, uh, we had been introduced to um, Kathy Evans who runs the Rhinebeck Writers Retreat. And uh, we applied to go to that and had the opportunity that summer to kind of implement a lot of those things from that we now knew from the memoir and in talking with Andrew. And we were still trying to figure out the opening of our show. So we created this whole thing that, that eventually we threw out, but there was like one little bit that stuck with it. That was really, really crucial. And a bunch of other smaller things that fit in, especially toward the end that got written during that, that um, time in, in Rhinebeck. And then we were invited, I think at the end of that summer to be a part of the, um, 
I'm blanking on the name of it. I feel like I have Festival of New Musicals. Festival of New Musicals at good speed. And that I think is where the piece ripened on the vine yeah. in an incredible way. Um, yeah, you want to talk about that, Eric? Sure. Uh, yeah, we had, you know, this was, uh, so now we had, after Rhinebeck, we had the first full draft of the show. We, we knew what the show was and we were able to take it to um, uh, the festival. And uh, for those who don't know what the festival is, you know, it's a uh, three new musicals are invited to good speed and you get to um, play this really savage casting game where you try to take your favorite student from the art school or Boston Conservatory. And it's like, it's like Survivor, but in casting. Uh, I like to call, we like to call it like an NFL draft, like a snake draft type situation. Oh, 100%. It's, it's like literally outwit, outsmart, outlast. Like, you know, like you want to play real cat. The ones you don't, you, ones you really want, you want to be like, I guess you can have so-and-so. I mean, they did an okay job today. And then they're like, I guess I don't want them. And I'm like, I want them. Yeah, I want them, you know, to get your cast. So we, we you know, so we, uh, so you, you're working with the students, the incredible, incredible students from the Hart School and from uh, Boston Conservatory. And again, you know, an embarrassment of riches. You know, we had this amazing cast that they, and, and I'll say this here, along the way, there's something about Andrew's story. And I think it's just the humanity of what he did that just makes people latch onto it. I, we have never along this process, and I hope to continue this till it, whatever the grand production is, and then it goes out into the world for their, you know, productions all over the world. Uh, it touches you in a way that you are impassioned about telling the story. And all 11 of those students in our cast were giving performances and work that could rival any professional, just giving it their all. And the other it, years. Yeah, beyond their years. And, and, and you know, and, and like Marty as Andrew, you know, like something that challenged him to his core and rocked him to his core. He gave it his damn all. I mean, thank God, because we were very fortunate and uh, we had a very successful time there. We learned a lot about the show. We did the first work. We were the final day of the festival. And a moment I will never forget for the rest of my life was uh, the very final chords of the final song hits, it was pitch black in the theater and you just heard 300 chairs go foom, 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 foom. And the lights came on and everyone was on their feet. And I was a disaster. <laughs> and that was the end of it. Um, because the story just hit. Um, you know, soon after Goodspeed got a hold of us and said, uh, you wanna be on the season next year? And, you know, uh, we said, yeah, <laughs> yeah we'd love that. And um, we were given uh, a spot at the Norma Terrace. Um, and, you know, we, we, the good thing about the festival too, we got to uh, implement Igor Golden into it uh, because he and I had worked together on Pebbles and I brought him to Brett and said, you know, have a chat with Igor, see if he's somebody that you, uh, you know, you resonate with and let's test him out at the festival. You know, it's that, these are the best ways to do, uh, you know, these, uh, the, these, these uh, to create, these relationships you, to see how you work together. You know, that's the only way you're going to, you're not going to know through a conversation. You're going to know through experience. Um, so we had, a, you know, we had a great time there. We created a lot of great stuff and we got to, uh, we were then chosen for the, for the season in Arma Terrace in 2019 for the summer. Prior to that, we had a workshop in the city. Uh, so we got to, uh, we got to then uh, hear the show with the cast. And I say professionals in the sense of working actors, salaried actors working under, you know, under, in a union, uh, 
And, you know, and, and, and people that were also age specific are, are, are cast as wonderful as they were, they are 20, 21, 22, you know? Um, so we got to hear it there and then, and then, uh, and then take it to good speed and, and then implement a choreographer, implement, um, a, a, you know, a, a set design, a costume design, a lighting design, orchestrations. And that's where I'm gonna throw it back to you, Brett, because that's where I think the show took another huge life. Right, so uh, when, um, when we, were, we were trying to figure out, you know, who, who we wanted to have orchestrated, and I had, um, I had always had my sort of heart set on August Eric's Moen, um, particularly after uh, hearing his work in Come From Away. And then I think, I think I saw that first and then I saw Bright Star and I was like, oh, this is, this is the guy. And I knew August, we had, I had, uh, he had music directed a show that I had done at, um, workshopped at La Jolla uh, a few years prior. So I, and I'd been in touch with him and uh, just kind of off and on. And I remember, uh, you know, Donna Lynn said, well, let's, let's just reach out to him. And, uh, and it was very, you know, uh, serendipitous kind of experience because what I had reached, I had emailed him to sort of say, hey, this offer's coming, but he'd never gotten that email. So he just had this offer from Goodspeed and he was like, what is this show? I don't know. And he was like, uh, he like listened to the demos and was like, wow, this is really great. I don't know, you know, I don't know if I can do this, but I'd like to just meet this composer. And then realized that it was me and was like, oh, and then like went to like email me and then saw the email that I had. And he's like, oh my God, I totally missed this. But I, it was kind of like amazing that he did miss it because he just came to it in a very organic space and, and just did an incredible job. And I, I will always be so, so grateful to, for the opportunity to have gotten to work with him so closely on this. So I want to take it back to when you talk about um, when you first got your hands like on Andrew's memoir and you got to have all those new details and those emerge in the process because uh, Eric, what you, what you talked about, um, his story resonating with people, like when you hear him speak about it, 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 it's incredibly moving. Like his TED talk, you know, go on YouTube, everyone and watch the 15 minute Andrew TED talk. And I was like, oh my God, I was like, I almost, I literally was, we started recording the other section of the podcast yesterday on Annika can attest, I got on and I was like, if I start crying, it's because I just watched this TED talk and it just like hit me. Um, but like, so you get all these details and he's so specific and he, gives such honor and, and reverence to every story and person that he meets along the way. How does that inform what you already did in terms of the characters that you've like expanded on and done? And how do you honor that once you kind of know how um, intimately and, and truthfully he documents their stories along, along his journey? How do you, how do you reckon with that? I mean, I guess at first the, the the really the the weird kind of like kismet moment that I was like oh this is you know I I as much as I try not to be I'm a superstitious Cuban my God you know I can't help that so like I'm like look for the signs and 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 there was one right away uh, that was that with only a forty minute podcast at our disposal we had really filled in the blanks quite similarly to what actually happened in his life. There was more shading and more detail um, on things, and some things where you know we were like, "Oh, that was a little off, but on the right track or something." Um, so that was kind of crazy. After I'm a Brett read Brett reads much faster than I do, and so he read it really, really fast. And called me was like, "Have you gotten the page?" And I'm like, "No, I'm on page two. You know, and like, and and but he kept on saying, "Oh my God, what'd you get here? What'd you get here?" 
because he was telling me you're gonna you know you're gonna see how much we really hit upon um the hardest thing about doing a show like this and i think with anything that you love and i think that's why it was good that we we i'm glad we wrote it based on the podcast and not had read the book prior i know for me it's hard things become precious you read stuff you love something there's, there's a famous saying it was like don't write don't write something you love because you always hold it so dear i don't know if i fully agree with that but i do understand the preciousness so, and there are some stories, there are stories in this and I'm, I don't want to spoil anything because then you won't know it's in the show. But when you watch the show and then you read the book, you'll, you'll see there are some stories, especially out, out in the West, when he goes out West that really like, ugh, like just t- rip my soul in half, but they don't work in the musical. They would not work in the musical. It would take you off course. Yeah, it's really, it's difficult. Um, as Eric said, you know, we, we were fortunate because we had the spine of the story that came from the podcast. So we sort of had the general, you know, uh, beat to beat that, that Andrew had, had also put together. Um, and so we, you know, we had that to, to, to ground us, but that then also limits us in our scope. Um, and, you know, it's, it's the, the endless battle of adaptation. You know, you have to decide what do you keep, what do you not keep. Um, and the good thing, I, the thing that was a huge relief to me when I read the book was that Andrew was such a good writer. Um, I was really concerned that the book just might be mediocre or bad and that that would somehow be misaligned with what we were trying to get out of it. Um, so you're right, you know, he had these incredible details and for me that allowed us to just further flesh out the themes that we already felt like we were telling. And one of the, one of the things that I often think about, which is still very true to, you know, his, his memoir and also the podcast, which is that like, you know, this is so from Andrew's point of view, but like a major, major player in him doing this whole thing was his mother, but she's like, even in his book, like he tries to give her the, you know, as much do, but then you meet the woman and you're like, there's needs to be books about her. You know, she's just an incredible person. And so it's like, and, and, and I, every time I watch the show, I'm always like, yeah, there's no way like we get a thimble of, of mom in this, but like, that is such an explosive. So, but it's just the, uh, you know, it's the, it's the necessary challenge of adaptation. Yeah. And you have to, you know, you have to combine people, you know, it's also too, a lot of our characters are amalgamations. There's a lot of our characters that if you read the book, you'll go, oh, this, oh, that, oh, that, or that, and you go, and it's seven people pushed into maybe into one or something like that to give because they all had, they all came from the same tribe. And so we just kind of pushed them together into one to create that person, why them, why along the way, why, you know, and then he keeps going. Well, speaking of uh, what you keep and what you don't keep and adaptation. So this show has had sort of a relatively small, uh, time frame for some new musicals in terms of its development. And obviously any new show is never like really kind of finished. It's never like done in the world. So could you talk about a specific change that you made at one point along the way and something that you still have on your list that you want to work on? Yeah. Um, so uh, I'll talk about the, the opening to act two was something that I rewrote going into the, um, the, mus- the new musical uh, festival of new musicals 
And what used to be there was a similar-ish type number that was also called Passing Through because I knew, I sort of knew that I wanted there to be a title song or at least something close to a title song and that it would probably open the second act. The, uh, and we knew that the second act was going to open in Texas and kind of, I think, I don't know at the time that we, I think we sort of knew that it would like carry us through Texas so that we'd like yeah. use that whole number to just kind of cover the state of Texas. And because we, uh, when, when I first wrote it, we just were kind of still in, uh, we, we were working off the podcast. We didn't have the memoir and we were sort of in imagination space. I was like writing these moments for Andrew to talk about some of the lessons that he'd learned, but all of the imagery that I was using, I realized after the fact was like hiking imagery, like that he was like going on a, like a trail hike, which is not what he did. He was always on a road, you know, he was always on a road and he was always with people. And, and I was like, this just feels wrong. And it didn't have enough opportunity for the uh, ensemble to, to come in here. And, um, and so, and it didn't, it didn't, I think after reading the book, I knew that I needed to introduce because act two was going to, was really about getting him to the desert and getting him to face death. So I needed to introduce that idea at the beginning of act two um, in some way, shape or form. Uh, and so anyway, so I, I, that's where I came up, you know, the, the refrain of the, of the piece goes, you know, and when I die, I want nothing for to cry. So the idea of like him starting to think about his death, think about his mortality, think about what he's leaving behind. Um, also scattered throughout the book were all of these, um, you know, Andrew talks about the different types of walking. And in reading that, I was like, gosh, this, I'd love to do something with this. And so that then became this really great moment in the, in that act two opener where he just kind of talks about, you know, sort of patter sings all these different types of walking. That was really fun. Um, uh, Eric uh, also came up with this idea um, that he would go through Jasper, Texas, which happens to be um, a butterfly capital. And so we wanted to use those characters to kind of start us off and have something fun and fun loving at the top of the act. Um, and so, yeah, so then I did a lot of like sketching of what that was going into festival, uh, the new musical New, new musical festival. And, um, and I think the first or second night, right, here's a fun story. First or second night, I was like, hey guys, I'm gonna go, I have to go and write this. And I, and I didn't wanna be in the house. So I said, is there a piano somewhere? And they were like, yeah, in the basement of Goodspeed. I was like, okay, great. So I'm like, I'm going down there and I'm like working and I'm like working on my computer. And it, the basement of Goodspeed is like scary, especially in the winter. <laughs> Right. And what's really scary is they have these like automatic lights that like shut off and shut back on. And there's like a noise that happens. It's terrifying. And I'm like, okay, just like get this done, get this done. And I'm like, and I'm almost at the very end. And like, you know, there's like a storm of brewing outside, you know, and I swear to God, I hear on the window. And I'm like, and, and I like look over and there's nobody there. And I'm like, I like close my computer and I'm like, thank you. And I like just like leave. But I remember going back to the to the house and, and Eric and Igor were like, where were you all night? Cause I was like disappeared for hours to try to get this number done. And then I came in the next day and said, okay, here's the new opener act two. And it's mostly stayed the same. And it was, it, it, 
he forgets the part where like he like played it for us and we were like slack jawed from like we were like oh my god because it was it was it was epic the opening of act two is epic it it, it is it's everything he uh, it, he it, it it sounds like copeland it has that 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 breath where you feel if, if there's ever a time to be big and brassy it's in texas you know um and we had so much fun with it you know and uh and yes it's a testament to brett 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 does Brett's assessment uh, will work longer and harder than anybody else, and you will you will wake up at eight in the morning with Brett going over one note over and over again, like Brett. I think the ghost of Goodspeed was just trying to add some percussion. So, yeah, I hope so. I hope it was Could a friend. Never attack. find me down there. Not in a million years. Well, you, I at Goodspeed. I I love Goodspeed. I honor Goodspeed. You will never see me there when it's dark and alone. Never. Ever. <laughs> okay, Eric, do you want to talk about something that we still want to yeah. change? What do we want to change? Um, I, I, again, I don't want to go into specifics because, as you know, for those who want to watch, but there's, you know, we, we learned a lot in the show and um, what are things to, uh, to, you know, we want to broaden a bit of the universality of the message of what he's really kind of going through and what this means for, I think it's definitely a big, um, there's something to be learned even more than what's there already in this. And it's, I mean, Brett brought it to my attention actually in the book, and I think it's really interesting. Um, we're going through a moment in our in our country and the world where he says it so beautifully in his book, Andrew. And we just saw the repercussions of this in this horrifying, you know, shooting that happened, these shootings that happened, where he said he didn't really ever check in much with society and what was happening in the world and news along his walk. Right. But he was I forget, he was somewhere and he was in a bar and he looked up and saw on TV. They're talking, was it the Aurora shooting? The Aurora shooting, and they're talking about the shooter's manifesto. And he heard it and looked at it and said, oh my God, those are the same questions I was asking myself before I went on this walk. And the interesting thing about, what are we doing with our young men in this country? What are we doing, are our young men, what's happening? And I think there's something really inherently powerful in that. There's something in that too with these, with the young man, his father, or, or a parent, the, di the dynamic is something enough to where we saw during performance, you know, to number one person to fall apart in the audience, the older men, which was very shocking. They were getting really emotional. This was hitting something in them. You know, are we raising broken men in this country, you know? And, and, and there's something there that goes with the universality of, of, of connection and, 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 and going right into trauma and facing it in order to be able to make amends with it and move forward, you know, in a better path. Um, so that's something we want to look into a little more. Uh, some, some scene flip stuff that we think, one in particular in act two that I think will really send the show on a, on a better trajectory. So you go, oh, that's the finish we want to get. Um, an expansion of a song in act yeah, so one. Like an expansion of one song and, song and trimming some songs in act two. Yes, an expression of one song in Act One that would give you that would give you a better sense of traveling. So he will have traveled a bit before we get to a certain point. Um, but little things here and there, no big overhauls, you know, as far as um, which was nice. Even like I have not seen it in uh, Brett has the bravery of watching the archival <laughs> when we got it. I it's those are very hard for me to watch because even as beautiful as the one everyone gets now, which is just stunning, this production. It's so beautifully filmed and the sound's so good and everything. I, it's 
very permanent for, for, for me to watch. And, 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 and I finally sat down this past Monday and I watched it. Uh, I figured if the world's going to watch it, I have to watch it. Um, and I was very, I was very pleased with what I saw and said, okay, you know what? Even a year later, the changes we thought about afterwards still apply in that way, but there's nothing in there. I was very happy with what we were able to accomplish when we were there. And the show that left is I think will be the show. Mostly people will one day, you know, see in a fully realized, you know, I, I, it was, it was, I was very pleased with it. First off, I could sit and talk to you both about it all day. This is exactly the kind of conversation that we wanted to have. So thank right. you for joining us and, and sharing the, some specifics about the journey and, yeah. um, you know, we're thrilled that it is the premiere of Goodspeed On Demand and that we get to share it with the world. And um, I think I speak on behalf of everyone who has seen it. And I know I speak on behalf of Annika when I say, please get a cast recording so we can continue to listen to it all the time. <laughs> I keep telling Brad, they got to get, they got to get that like cast recording of that concept album or something, something like that. So everyone can get like addicted to the score and not yeah. stop singing it. The passing for mixtape. Whoever has funds. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Who's got the coins? Who's got the coins? <laughs> okay. Well, thank you all for joining us truly. Um, and, you know, uh, we'll see you soon. Thank you. See you soon. Yeah, guys, this was really great. It's, it's so delightful to see your faces. And it's like a reunion. Yeah. What do you want to be at? <laughs> so now, Annika, why don't you take us into the words and show us what's inside These Days Are Gone. What's inside? Everyone wants to know what's inside. All right, let's dive into These Days Are Gone. This is a song fairly late in the second act. Uh, Andrew has traveled all the way to New Mexico, and he is going to have to face the desert, which he's very afraid of, but he's also going to have to face the end of his journey and figuring out what else he's doing in his life. And notably... He has been ignoring increasingly the reality that he has a problem relationship with his father who he chooses not to speak with because his father abandoned the family and he feels very betrayed by that and has decided he doesn't want to have a relationship with his father. But this is increasingly present in his life and his mind. And at this point, he has met this old ranch hand named Dennis, who owns the ranch where Andrew is staying. And... They're having a conversation and over the course of this conversation, it is revealed that Dennis doesn't have any kids. He has this whole ranch that he's starting to be unable to tend to himself and he has no family, no one to leave this ranch to. So in this very beginning moment, Andrew has realized that this is the case. And so this is where it starts. You pretty good at that? No. <laughs> Mostly just messing around. Yeah. I suppose your, your life up there in Philadelphia was nice, huh? One of those all-American suburban families, right? Mm, quite the opposite. Just me and my mom. Did your dad die? Emotionally. What does that mean? I don't speak to my father. You have a father out there you don't talk to. It's not really all that complicated, just a choice I've made for myself.
nice to have music out here again. I used to piss around on the guitar a little bit. I'm afraid these don't allow that no more. So already we have a lot of information here. Uh, first of all, Brett has done this gorgeous thing, which is to have this song really be seated in these three notes that Andrew is playing on the mandolin. And this is such a smart thing to do because obviously passing through is based on a real story. It's based on a real thing that happened. Um, Andrew, the real Andrew really did walk across America, make these recordings of different people. And here we have this blending of reality and um, music. So Brett is starting this song with something that's diegetic, that's actually happening in this world. Andrew, the character is playing the mandolin. And then it's being taken up ever so gently into the world and being turned into this song. So we get this beautiful kind of mix of realism and music here that just gently, gently leads us into it. And what I also love about this too, is that it's very representative of Andrew. We get these three notes that he's beginning and then the accompaniment, the orchestrations pick it up and Andrew starts playing something else on the mandolin. And that's just a little beautiful uh, symbol of what Andrew does with all these people that he meets. You know, maybe he asks a question, he plants a seed, he starts something. It gets picked up by the world, by the people he's talking to. And then he just settles into something that's more supportive. He's there to listen. He's allowing this song to transfer from being something that he's doing on the mandolin to something that Dennis is singing. Um, and it's just such a beautiful little moment for that. It's based in realism, but then it switches to this sort of memory in this conversation. And it's very, very pretty. So here's a crazy old man story for you. The proud young man who carved this land right into the way he set out to and in doing so, never had a family. The man who forgot to make this ranch a home. Just the other day, I was 20. Anxious to grow up and set out on my own. I used to think the days were long and plenty. Being young is all I'd ever know. All I'd ever know. And this is the first verse, and we get a real sense of who Dennis is and where what the tone of this song is. Um, kind of a country western feeling, but a gentle one, a little bit of folk appropriate for where we are, which is New Mexico. Um, but also it's this beautiful, bittersweet melody, and we have Dennis here singing about being young. Um and it starts out with this brilliant thing, which is just the other day I was 20, which is kind of a, a charming thing for someone to say, you know, he is talking to Andrew. It's, oh, you know, you, you do say that sometimes like, oh, yesterday, I, it was 40 years ago, what happened? But at the same time, it's a really good indication of how time feels to Dennis. This song is a lot about time. And he's giving us the indication that time is not linear. It's not accurate. It follows its own rules. Sometimes it does feel like that. You know, yesterday was 
50 years ago. That's not possible. And yet it's also extremely what it, what it feels like. And the years track by like telephone poles, 14. 15. You fret the time and set your goals as it slowly marches on. These days are gone. These days are gone. These days are gone. So in this chorus, we get so much. Um, first of all, one thing that I really love is that those three initial notes that are in the mandolin, which are descending, now have sort of been reversed. There's the echo of them in reverse in the years track by. It, it goes, it's building up. And that's totally correct because Dennis is singing about youth here. You know, the years track by, like you, he's, thinking of himself when he was a young man instead of who he is now, which is an old man. Um, so it's building up, it's full of energy and growth instead of the opposite, which is sort of falling down. Um, a little bit of a, a musical reversal there. Um, and then there's a, another brilliant thing that happens here, which is that the lyric here is the years tracked by like telephone poles. And as he does that 14, 15, he leaves ample room between them. He just lets those phrases be on their own for a while. So there's musical space between 14 and 15. We can feel the waiting in that. So this is youth. So just remember that. And then we get this beautiful triple repetition, repetition of these days are gone, um, coming right after that big note of marches on. And this little bittersweet fall takes us down to the reality. We can hear a little bit now that Dennis is kind of fading into his memory a little bit. The song is as much for him as it is for Andrew. Um, and it's interesting that Dennis says these days are gone instead of what you would expect, which is those days are gone, right? It's a sign of how much he's still present in those memories. They're around him. They're these, they're not those, it's not over there. He's holding on to them. He's not looking back at them. And it's kind of wild when you think about this because this song maybe more than the others um, is really based in Andrew's real journey. Some of these lines were actually said by a rancher in New Mexico that the real Andrew talked to. Um, one of them was the phrase, these days are gone. And the other thing was the uh, railroad tracks and the fence poles that we're gonna see. So that's kind of wild when you think about how brilliant um, those lines are in this particular song but they're not created, they are based in reality. In the same way those little mandolin notes become this song, those lines become this whole emotional moment for this character, it's really gorgeous. Then one Thursday afternoon, you're 42. Isn't a surprise, but it suddenly feels big. So you start to look at all the things you meant to do. Fill the holes you never meant to dig, you never meant to dig. And the days clip by like old fence posts go to work. 
pay the bills, paint a room, have a beer. The dreams of youth give up their ghosts, but they still keep marching on. These days are gone. These days are gone. These days are gone. Oh, beautiful. All right, so now we have a whole nother verse and chorus. Um, and again, we have that fun playing with time. Then when Thursday afternoon, you're 42, the combination of the very immediate and the very larger scale, playing with time, um, it has all snuck up on him. And then unlike the first chorus, where years tracked by like telephone poles, here we have the days clipping by by like old fence posts. From the big things that pass every once in a while, they're now smaller and more frequent. Not years, but days, and not uh, telephone poles, big tall things, but fence posts. And Brett has illustrated that musically by having these fragments that we are seeing pass, there's less time between them. We can hear them coming faster. So musically, we're getting the illustration of where time exists in this space in his life, in his 40s, sort of middle age. Um, Faster, not quite as fast as it's going to be. Oh, relax your hands. Son, relax your hands. It's okay. Doesn't sound the same, not like when you do it. Well, it takes a second, son. I didn't master it in a day. Now, first off, with the mandolin, it's two strings you pluck. Here, try it again and pluck these two bottom strings. Like that. Perfect. See how much better it is with two? And now the time speeds by like a railroad track. Yesterday, long ago, summer sun, winter snow. Watch it come. Where'd it go? Where'd it go? Where'd it go? And you know it's never coming back. Cause it won't stop marching on These days are gone These days are gone These days are gone So we've skipped over a, a verse here because instead of there being a verse, we've have a, had a scene that is Andrew's memory of himself with his dad. Um, and we jump back from that right into another chorus because now that feels appropriate to the song too because Dennis is in his memories. Um, he's in a different emotional place. He's, he's not really telling the story to Andrew anymore. And we can feel that this one has a different feel than the other choruses, uh, which felt a little more contemplative and melancholy, a little bit more a man telling a story to um, this young guy who's visiting him, basically. This one's faster, has more energy, and you can really hear a little bit of anguish there. Dennis has gone from someone who is at peace with his life, who's telling the story of like how time works. Maybe he's a little rueful, but he's not upset at all. And here we can feel that he is he is upset at how fast it has gone. 
and that he has made the choices he's made, which have left him alone. We can feel that in this. And of course, we go from telephone poles to fence posts. Now we have time speeding by like a railroad track. It's so good. It's so detailed and perfect. It's smart. It's just, ugh, I just love this part so much. Um, and it isn't even separatable into years anymore. It's, it's not days, it's not years, it's just like time, you know, it's all a mush, it just flies by and we can hear it in the music with that fast rhythmic counterpoint to the music. It's railroad track, you know, it's, it's what just goes under your train as it's speeding along. It's, you know, you can't see the individual ones while you're moving. And, and that's what Dennis is feeling here, that it's, it's slipped away from him. He can't even see it anymore. So we can really get a full emotional journey to here. And then of course those three these days are gone, which every single time this is said, it just takes on a slightly different tone and we can just hear him sad about it, upset about it, telling himself that this is what happens, mourning them, you know, laughing about it, all these things. And also uh, just full credit to Reed Armstrong, who's the performer who's singing this is just so good with this song, so good in general. Um, it's such a full performance that I'm using the audio from this uh, streaming one that we, we have now. You can see it at Good Speed On Demand um, through April 4th. And I really, 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 if you're listening to this and you're interested in what this song is, I, I beg you go watch this because watching these two actors perform this song, and I'm including Max Chernin who plays Andrew here, we're about to hear from him a little bit, but he's also present for this whole song, listening and, and actively in this scene. And it's, they're just so good. It's really heartbreaking. I actually, every time I go to pause it so that I can go back to talking, I have to remind myself that I can't just keep watching this whole thing. So anyway, let's, let's hear the end of it. Here. What? Here. Kiddo, my hands, I can't play anymore. Come on, trust me. All right. Now with the mandolin, you, you want to play a little lower to get the best sound. Yep. Relax your hands. scene there where Andrew shows Dennis that he can play the mandolin even though his fingers are are damaged by arthritis so Andrew is teaching Dennis that he still can learn a new thing and there's something new that he can do um, and then they sing together in this beautiful final verse um, with Andrew singing a gorgeous harmony Dennis carries the melody here but Andrew makes it into something almost hopeful with his higher 
harmony line, it's still both of them singing the same message that time moves fast and that you have to make your life what you want it to be. But for each, it's very different. And we have a beautiful, a beautiful sort of musical encapsulation of the scene, the little mini scene we've just seen, which is that after Dennis goes to this kind of place of anguish and sorrow, Andrew is kind of making it into something more beautiful. He's coaxing Dennis back out. Um, and with his harmony, he's making it something to be celebrated a little bit, something beautiful in a different way. Um, and they're both approaching the end of their journeys, but this is a very different thing for each of them. Um, and the song has encapsulated something different for each of them. Um, you know, Dennis, I think, has learned that he has more to do in his life, even if he hasn't ended up where he wants to be necessarily. And Andrew, I think, has had a moment to meditate on what his choice not to remember his father fondly, which he does at some point in this song, um, is potentially going to lead him to, and also has connected with a memory of his father that's lovely and, and supportive. So I think his heart has been a little bit opened to the idea that maybe he can let his father back in. And then at the very end of this, there's a really beautiful thing where they, they sing completely together. The final lines are no harmony, just them singing together. And that feels like it's pulling us back to the world where those three mandolin notes were. You know, this is what Andrew does. He connects with people um, and he's doing that here. He's, they're exactly on the same page. They're singing the exact same thing. It's almost like they might be singing the song around the fire. Um, it just brings us back, deposits us back into reality in such a gentle, wonderful way. And then we have this, this whole beautiful song which really sticks with you. Um, when you see it, it just is one of my favorites. And again, those performances are so good so good go see it um and just you know this is what this is what new musicals can be this this song has so much meaning in it and so many layers of of these characters and what this music means for them but also layers of what time is that's displayed in the lyrics and in the music um the elements that have been drawn from reality, you know, these real people who have said these things and, and they've just been woven into this other form. I mean, this is, this is everything that we look for and hope for when we go and sit down in the theater piece to learn something, to feel something, but also like so brilliantly done all of these different things going on in the song. It's just a gem and I love it so much. And that will bring us to our final segment, our favorite things. These are a few of my favorite things. Where we talk about some of our favorite things in Passing Through. So, Annika, what is your favorite song in Passing Through? This is so hard because I love so many of these songs so much. But my favorite song has got to be by a hair of its chin-chin-chin uh, to the end of the road. I love that song. It just sets everything off right. It's, it's got such spirit and energy to it. And it's just a great song. Yeah, it's great. I mean, the entire score has so many, so many wonderful ones. It's hard to pick. I really love the title song. I it gets stuck in my head all the time. Yep. Uh, so it's hard. It's hard to pick, but for me, but I would say it. Yeah, as I go passing through, is a bop. Yeah, I mean, they're both really, really great, and it's just the kind of music you just want to listen to all day. It's just so good. Brett Ryback, genius person. So then who is your favorite character in Passing Through? My favorite character is Carrie. I really love Carrie because I think she's a, 
a woman you don't really see very often, um, which is she's young, she's super, super angry. She's making mistakes and she sort of knows she makes mistakes, but she's also kind of um, hard to love in many ways because she's both full of rage and full of pain. And I just felt like when I saw this character for the first time, it, it felt like I know people who are like this, people who are just making terrible decisions in their lives because they are so paralyzed by this combination of pain and rage. And it's such a beautiful thing to see on a stage, someone who is that complicated and feels that real and um, is not often what you see, especially not for a woman. So she's my favorite. Also Celeste Rose, who was in our production is, I mean, why is she not a huge star? That voice comes out of this person and, and she's amazing in like a million ways. So anyway, Celeste, Shout out to Celeste, but also Carrie, that part is great. What about you? Who's your favorite? I mean, how can I not say Miss Emma? Miss Emma rocks. Uh, I mean, I, I love her. Um, I also love to talk about the actors who play them. I love Jennifer Lee Warren. She's such a delightful human and just good person on this planet. But I think her portrayal of Miss Emma is so wonderful. And the fact that She's 102 and yes, she was on the Smucker's jar and like all the little one-liners she gets, I think are great. And of course the um, emotional apex of the first act being her number, the act one finale uh, is incredibly moving and just wow. So I, I, I have to say uh, looking for the moments of grace and the, and the lesson that she teaches Andrew of looking for the moments of grace, I think is really valuable. So I, I have to say Miss Emma. Miss Emma is such a great choice. She's such a great character. And she's one of the few characters like Andrew who is based really on a real person. I think the real person's name was Miss Emma Lou Daly. And she was in reality only 91, just a spring chicken, but clearly a woman who very much affected the people around her. And so I'm so glad that she's being honored in this way by being in the show and being played by the great Jennifer Lee Warren, who is also a G. I mean, if I start to get into how amazing this cast is, it's like, we're going to be here for 40 hours. They're all so good. So what's your favorite miscellaneous thing about passing through? So I have a very specific one, um, which is like one of my favorite theatrical moments ever. Um, and this is really, this is a really shout out to the director of passing through Igor Golden. Um, he did a thing when we did our festival production that was so brilliant that I love it so much. And he did put it into the show, but in a slightly different way, which is basically the moment when Andrew is lost in the desert and he's panicking and he's singing and he's, he's just looking for where he needs to go next. Igor did this amazing thing where all of, so when we do the festival, they're not, they're staged readings, but there's no set. It's just chairs and it's all people in street clothes on stage. And Igor had set up the chairs. So they were at all different sort of angles through the course of the, the stage on the stage. And in the moment when Andrew is trying to find his way, all these ensemble members were standing at their chairs. And then finally, there's a moment where they all just slowly start to sit. And the only person who is still remaining besides Andrew, who is of course at the front of the stage is in the back of the stage 
the actor who is playing his father is the only one standing. And you realize that the thing that Andrew really has to face in this moment is his relationship with his father. And it was so beautifully done. And so, I mean, I'm just getting chills thinking about it because it was such a, a perfect way to use staging and obviously nothing fancy, no set, no costumes, just purely how to use people to direct your attention to what the story is and the next step of it. Um, that moment is so beautiful in the show in general because it's it's such a heartbreaking moment. You just know that Andrew has to has to face this, that this is his personal desert, basically. This is the perf the the thing that is the true challenge for him, the, the scariest thing that he's gonna have to do and and the things with the high stakes, but also the thing that he has to do in order to complete this journey. And so it was just such a, a beautiful moment. And when we when we did it in production, and we obviously had a little bit more set, um, he really kind of recreated that moment where suddenly it was it was Jim Stanek who played his father, who was there um, in that same way, where it was just suddenly this realization in the audience that, you know, this is this is who he had to talk to. This is what was next. And and also because that moment is a little surreal, like. His father is not really there. He's in the middle of the desert. This is in his head in many ways, but it all just made perfect sense. Um, so that moment is is my top moment. Uh, just a brilliant theatrical moment from Igor Golden and this show. I mean, I get chills just hearing you talk about it. Um, so I, it's that's a great one. So my favorite miscellaneous thing is learning about Andrew and his story and this journey that he took and what he learned along the way. The show does such a great job distilling it down to a musical form. But if you get the book and read the book or listen to the podcast or his TED Talks or various things, he's such a fascinating and wise young man um, for, and, and just like what he learned on, on his journey, I think is so incredible and thoughtful and uh, and worthwhile to, to think about and to listen to. So I think getting that message and story out to as many people as possible through passing through is, is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Well, that'll wrap it up for our deep dive into passing through. Again, you don't want to wait. Don't wait to book your ticket. Go on goodspeed.org right now. You can buy a ticket there, uh, or a, I guess you buy a link um, that will take you to the the site where you can watch it for, I think, 72 hours once you click that link. Um, and I believe you can watch it as many times as you want within that 72 hours once you click that link. Um, but it's a wonderful, wonderful way to spend an evening at home with your loved ones. And I, I, you will feel so warm and fuzzy and hopeful about the world um, because of this little show. So I, I cannot recommend it or encourage it. I cannot recommend it enough and I cannot encourage you anymore to head to goodspeed.org and get your ticket today. Yeah, I think we all really, really miss seeing new work on stage and we cannot wait until a time where we can bring you more of that and sit together in a, in a theater and watch the lights go down and see some joyous new thing in front of us. But until then, this is the next best thing. Please watch this amazing piece of theater and um, just share in that experience with the other people who are watching it too and, and support these writers, support these new stories that are coming out on stage. It's, it's the greatest feeling in the world and you will enjoy it, I, I promise. 
All right. Well, we will see you soon for season two of In the Spotlight. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. This podcast has been a presentation of Goodspeed Musicals, produced by the artistic staff and edited by me, Michael Fling. Our podcast would also not be possible without the generous support of the Sennheiser Electric Corporation, the Burry Frederick Foundation, Webster Bank, and the Richard P. Garmany Fund at the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving. If you enjoyed the show and would like to financially support Goodspeed, please visit www.goodspeed.org. See you next time!